Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Show podcast. This episode is brought to you by our partner, Canva. Canva lets you design anything and publish anywhere. Yeah, we use Canva to create all of our designs, even the podcast artwork you might be looking at right now. Today, we are very excited to be starting something completely new. That's right, we're both buzzing. We're diving into the world of startups in Australia and how marketing plays a part in the early stages of any brand or business. We're following our friend of the show, Nathan, and his journey through Antler's Accelerator program as part of a 10-week mini-series that will appear in our podcast feed. Nathan is a marketer who is launching into the world of entrepreneurship and will be checking in each week as part of his learning journey. Yeah, we learned from Nathan that going through this program is kind of like The Apprentice meets Love Island, which is awesome. If you've ever thought about starting your own business or brand from scratch, this series is for you. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Well, Nathan, uh, welcome to the show. Why don't we kick off with who you are and what you do? Cool. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, So yeah, my name's Nathan. I am... uh, Recently having to, I guess, rethink my title, I'm, uh, I guess I call myself an entrepreneur now, uh, but uh, my background's in, in sales and marketing. So I've worked as a, a marketing manager uh, for most of my career and have now recently taken the leap, uh, crazy leap maybe, to, uh, to go and go solo and build my own startup. That's definitely pretty awesome and very exciting. Yeah. And, and part of me wants to be doing the same and part of me is glad you're doing it first. Um, <laughs> but why don't you tell us sort of how you got here? Like what's your background? You said you're in marketing. What did that look like? Yeah, so um, I think marketing actually wasn't, wasn't really my, my first port of call. I, uh, I actually started my career as a journalist uh, and, and worked uh, at the Sydney Morning Herald for a couple of years. Uh, and, and that was amazing. Like I loved, uh, loved being in the newsroom, loved the energy of that environment. Mm. Love getting to report on different beats and different uh, different areas, uh, but I think uh, probably like a lot of people in the media industry, it's it's not the most stable place to be. Uh, and I think after a while, I was like, I wanted to see a little bit around sort of what the marketing side of things were. And and I did marketing at university and really enjoyed it and and felt like I wanted to give give that a try. Uh, and and for me as well, you know, it was sort of storytelling in different environments. I think. Whether you're, you know, you're writing an article or you're, you know, telling a story through a brand, I think it's still the same sort of skills of trying to connect with an audience and trying to, to sort of build a relationship and, and connect to people. So, so definitely, yeah, looked at making the transition, uh, moved to Unilever, uh, which was sort of my first marketing role and, and actually where I spent uh, the majority of, of my time in marketing. So uh, joined there in the Sydney office, uh, worked, uh, worked with them for about three years. Uh, Got to got to work on the most glamorous of brands. Got to work on Ben and Jerry's and drive around the the northern beaches of Sydney, sort of selling ice cream to people. And I tell you what, when you're wearing a Ben and Jerry shirt, everyone's happy to see you. There, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you make a lot of friends. Um, worked on Omo laundry detergent, which probably the other end of the glamour spectrum, but also very important uh, and particularly interesting as well. When mm. you know you've got like a product which is so commoditized, which is you know effectively like over 50% sold on promotion, you know, how do you get people to care about that? And that was a super interesting category. Uh, and then really pushed myself out of my comfort zone, worked on Tresemme. Uh, and uh, as, as both the marks can tell, like my hair is definitely not Tresemme quality or standard. Oh, I was about but... to say, pretty good. <laughs> no, you're yeah. saying yourself short. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think as someone who's recently recovering from uh, shaving their hair, I've got something to aspire to. <laughs> but uh, oh, like it was such a great initiation, like into, into thinking about, 
a product and a, and a brand that you know might not be personally relevant to you but like putting yourself in the, the shoes of a, of, of a different consumer like really really valuable so really got like uh, a great breadth of experience there it was a great training ground um, and made a lot of friends met some uh, met the two friends in front of me as well uh, <laughs> back at the old Unilever stomping ground uh, and then uh, and then actually was able to to move over to their office in London uh, and that was a, an amazing opportunity uh, Unilever were trialing this new um, uh, initiative where they basically created startup ventures slightly separately to the business uh, working on some of sort of the biggest business problems and saying well how can we future-proof Unilever and actually sort of taking people out of the business to work on those problems sort of trying to sort of I guess have an engine one engine two approach mm. going uh, and that was a that was a great uh, a great challenge basically for us uh, we you know we were given the, the target of saying you know in a world where water is, is precious where water is scarce uh, people aren't going to be washing their clothes as much. So how can we basically build solutions for a water-scarce world? Uh, pretty pretty big, yeah. lofty problem to try Very and cool. tackle. Uh, and I mean, that was brilliant to be able to sort of take that problem and then crystallize it to an idea. And then basically we, we took a very much like the lean startup approach, take that from from idea to, to sort of beta testing, to MVP, to launch. Um, and the product that we ended up uh, launching in the UK was uh, called Day2. Uh, it's a dry wash spray. So basically like a dry shampoo for your clothes. Uh, you know, you spray it on, basically you get um, freshly pressed iron iron shirt. Uh, it worked like magic. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that was um, an amazing experience. We got to launch it in the UK. Uh, we hit the front page of the Times, which was awesome. Um, got a lot of got a lot of traction. Got uh, insulted for being a dirty millennial in the Guardian, which was pretty cool. Um, so you know you've made it. I know, I know. Yeah. That's like career highlight for me. Put that in the frame. Yeah, yeah I've, I've yeah, I've got that somewhere. Um, and and yeah, so I mean, that was like a huge, phenomenal amount of traction, and then we just scaled from there and launched it into a couple of other countries. But I think uh, you know that that entrepreneurial bug of getting to see something through from like small idea you know, learning with your early customers, building something that they're super passionate about and then getting to see that sort of become a bit of a movement. Um, I mean, that was just so rewarding. And yeah, I think the entrepreneurial bug never left and it sort of led me to, to think, well, I want to I want to have that same rush again. And so and so now I'm now I'm here and I'm trying to do it myself. You're obviously working on like a very entrepreneurial and, and interesting project when you were working on day two. Um, and we're big fans of, I guess, the trapeze analogy of, you know, um, being on one side of the trapeze and then making the leap to go to the other side of the trapeze. Using that analogy, was there a specific moment where you realized it was time to go out on your own? Um, and if there was a specific moment, uh, do you remember where you were and what you were thinking at the time? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because I think it was it was very uh, it was very gradual. I think I think uh, as I was going through the journey. Uh, you you sort of learn some of the key sort of truths about entrepreneurialism, which is you know all of the idea of going back to to first principles about you know building your MVP, going through all of those early stages, and I think that that sort of rush that you get, that level of ownership, that level of autonomy, and and that level of excitement that you get also from seeing that first consumer sort of pick up your product and use it for the first time, like it's it's those little moments along the way that that give you that that rush and that excitement and i think it was it was sort of that build up of moments that that sort of got me got me hooked and um i think the other thing to say as well is that uh you know when when you're building a 
uh, a product within a big company. You know, uh, I think it got to a stage where, you know, we ended up folding it back into the company and, you know, took on slightly more of an operational role. But, you know, those those little moments from the beginning of the journey, you know, they stay with you. And, and those were the things that I kept coming back to. And, you know, even as we were scaling the product and even as we were growing it, you just kept coming back to those those little moments. And I think uh, I I was actually there was there was one little uh, little story where uh, I was, you know, walking to to work one day and I got on the the tube in in uh, in London and uh, one of the the cool things about London is uh, if you've ever been uh, you might notice that at every tube station uh, the station staff put up little motivational quotes to uh, to sort of cheer up the miserable Londoners as they go to work <laughs> uh, and uh, I got off at uh, Southwark station and you know getting up the escalator and you get to the the ticket barriers and there's that motivational quote and I was like okay what's it going to be today uh, and they had this brilliant quote, which was effectively, uh, you can either build your own dream or someone else will hire you to build theirs. Wow. Mm. And it was, it was just such a powerful statement. And, I, you know, I'd already been feeling all these emotions about, you know, I, I miss that rush. And, and, and you know, you want to just, you know, work on also something that you're super passionate about bringing, bringing from the ground up and bringing people on a vision and a journey. And, you know, I saw that and it just sort of clicked. And I was like, you know, this this is it you know it's 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 going to be now or never and i think you know now when when you you know maybe you're younger and you can take those risks uh it's it's the right time to do it so i think that that was probably a, a key moment that sticks in my mind wow yeah it's uh it's it's you know really cool that you have this crystallizing moment yeah. of like i had these feelings inside and then it sort of just came together with seeing this quote and side note i love i didn't know that there was quotes in the london tube station oh they're yeah, brilliant fantastic. oh awesome yeah. they're so good oh, i'll need to send you there's a, a great facebook page that uh that is where people post all the great quotes from across the across the city super so cool. yeah um, but but obviously it's still a massive jump to even going from the idea that i want to do this to actually making that step and you know leaving a potentially safe job and then deciding to go out on your own and and start your own journey What's the what's the sort of self talk that's going on in your head, and and how have you kept that motivation up and kept that self talk positive, and and I guess gotten you from that point to this point where you are now? Yeah, I think um, I mean it it does require a lot of motivation and self discipline. I think it is a lonely journey as well when you're you know you're trying to as any entrepreneur and and, and founder will tell you you know trying to to go through that journey and of of taking that leap of faith on your own is you know you're, you're never you're never comfortable um i think you're you're always sort of fighting your your demons and and fighting you know you know am i the right person to do this am you know is this the right time it is it is really hard i think everyone has that sort of um, imposter syndrome as well which is a very common um thing it's increasingly common i think it's the thing that you know it's the unspoken rule maybe in this industry is that i think everyone does feel that to an extent from from the ceo down um, but i think for me i've always had a a mantra which was you know even if the path ahead isn't isn't clear you know just keep putting yourself in positions to grow and to grow and learn and you know, keep putting yourself in positions where you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And I think that that's always been a bellwether for me to say, okay, you know, whether this works or not, am I going to to grow myself through this process? And I think that was a really sort of comforting thing to be able to answer. Yes, like I, I do. Uh, I think on top of that, you know, just also reframing failure. Like 
at the end of the day, you know, people look at it and, you know, I think, you know, the start nine out of 10 businesses are going to fail within the first Mm. couple of years. Uh, And that's, you know, that's a scary statistic for any person who's taking a leap of faith to go do something themselves. But I think the idea of reframing failure is, you know, not something to be afraid of, but something to embrace. Uh, And, you know, that whole mantra of fail fast, fail often, but also, uh, you know, not everyone's first business succeeds as well. And I think, you know, uh, there's that there's that quote, which is, you know, I I didn't fail. I just found a way that, you know, to not succeed or like, you know, and basically mm. it's, it's just a process of elimination as well. So I think that trying to, you know, just reframe that in your own mind uh, was was a really important sort of self-talk as well. Um, and then there's actually, you know, from uh, from, you know, the goat, Jeff Bezos, um, <laughs> he uh, he has this really interesting uh, philosophy on uh, on making decisions, which he calls a uh, regret minimization, uh, and basically, in simplest terms, it's you know if I'm uh, if I'm trying to make a decision, I'll project forward to when I'm eighty and looking back, and what's the decision that I'm going to regret less? Yeah, and that's the one that you should take. And uh, he talks about it specifically in uh, you know when he was leaving his super high paying job on Wall Street uh, to you know go and pursue this little thing called the internet. Uh, and he said, like, you know, looking back, would I have, you know, rather, you know, missed my bonus, which, you know, he, he had to walk away from is his probably very, very nice bonus uh, from that year. Or, you know, would he have missed out on the opportunity to to really get in on the early stages of the Internet? Uh, and I think for him, he knew which he'd rather take. Mm. Uh, I think that worked out pretty well for him. Uh, but <laughs> I think that's a really nice sort of framework to make decisions. And, and those those really helped me. Yeah, it definitely makes the leap sound a lot less scary because then if you compare it to what you currently have, it's it's much more known. Like if you look back on it, it's like, well, I could have gone for something exciting and different and learnt or just kept doing what I already knew. Yeah, and I think, I mean, when you also think about it in terms of like, you know, skills uh, that, you know, someone's looking for, or, you know, people looking at like, oh, it's a gap on my CV. Like I've gone out and done my own thing and that's really scary. I think the reality is that, you know, there's that saying there, the startup, uh, startup is the new MBA. Like realistically, like it's the most uh, incredible, fertile learning environment that you could possibly enter yourself into. And, you know, no employee is going to sort of look at that and go, oh, well, yeah, you know, you worked on something and it failed. Like, you know, that's, yeah. that's, not, that's not particularly great. I think they're going to look at that and say, wow, you know, you've taken that initiative, you've, you've bootstrapped, you've learned from the ground up, you've built customers, you've basically taken that whole journey on yourself. I think that's, you know, a win-win situation. Mm. You know, if it, the startup works, great. If it doesn't, the skills that you come out of it with are immense. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, again, all about just sort of reframing what success looks like. Uh, and it's definitely hard to do. And I, you know, it's easier said than done. Mm. Uh, but I, I definitely believe that it's, uh, it's definitely a mindset shift. Yeah, you're right. And even like if you end up having to go for a job later down the track and they question that potential gap, you know, you just got to frame it in how they would frame their failures as a big business, which is, you know, it was a test and learn. We learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that they'd sort of get it in that sense if you frame it the right way. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I guess um, outside of the GOAT, Jeff Bezos, uh, <laughs> were there any other um, people that influenced you or helped you realize your entrepreneurial passion um, either directly or behind the scenes? Yeah, I, I think I was I was reflecting on this because uh, someone asked me a similar question. And it's funny, I think there are obviously, um, you know, role models that you look to in the business environment. But I think it's, it's really funny when you look at something closer to home. Um, 
it only occurred to me very recently that I've probably been surrounded by entrepreneurs my whole life and I just mm. didn't really think about it. Uh, my my sort of grandparents, my my parents, my family, I mean, we've uh, we've come from a, an Italian background. My, my grandparents migrated to Australia um, just after the war and they, they had to build their livelihoods from, from scratch and to just sort of see how they built their businesses, to see how they created, you know, a, lively, a livelihood and, and created for their families. Um, I think that, you, you know, you realize you've been surrounded by that level of entrepreneurialism, uh, you know, your whole life and sort of just to, to be surrounded by those people and to be inspired by them and to see how they've created something from nothing. Um, I think for me, I mean, it, it's always so sobering to, to realize that, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of, of these, these people who have given so much, you know, for you to be able to have this life. But it's also been incredible to see how they've built their businesses. So I think it's, it's always been there, maybe just sort of simmering under the surface. Um, and I've always loved the idea of sort of just, yeah, bu- building things from scratch. Um, it was funny, one of, one of my very first bosses uh, at Unilever, actually, uh, you know, I took him aside and I said, look, I, I'd really love to have a career development discussion with you. And like, this is where I'd like to take my career in Unilever. And this is what, you know, what I'd love to do. And he just like point blank turned to me and just said, like, what are you doing here? Like you, 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 you should be doing your own thing. Like, you know, this really, like, I know, I know I meant to be like, you know, pushing you down this path, but like, is this really what you want? And it was just, it really took me aback. And I mean, I still stuck around for probably three or four more years (laughs) until I, but it, it does make me laugh and look back on it and say, well, maybe he knew me a little bit better than I knew myself at the time. Mm. Um, But I think there, there have been a lot of, um, a lot of sort of, key entrepreneurs in my in my life closer to home i mean obviously you've got you know those uh those seminal idols like your bezos and and your steve jobs and all of the people who have just had a seminal vision and just absolutely striven to uh to bring it to life but i think you know you can't you can't look uh look further than your family Mm. i think that's a that's pretty inspiring yeah Yeah. oh it's it's really cool like i I love that the old manager like could see it before you, or maybe they saw themselves in you and yeah. like realized that they should have done that. Um, but I also love, you hear a lot about how entrepreneurial our generation is right now, how many entrepreneurs are starting business. But actually there's a lot of studies showing that there was more startups, you know, 10, 20 years ago than there are now. It's just that we idolize entrepreneurs so much and call them entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. your grandparents probably didn't call themselves entrepreneurs, but were exactly that yeah i mean yeah there's there were no fancy titles back then yeah. and, you know i mean i think it's it's become so much more formalized now as well you know you've got vc and you've got series funding mm. and you've got all these incredible sort of infrastructures around you but at the end of the day uh, starting a business has always been the same journey it's been starting with a problem it's been finding your early adopters it's been building a client base you know iterating on your product and that doesn't change uh, you know, whatever language you put around yeah. it. So no, I think I think definitely uh, it's it's more formalized now. Yeah. But also, I think the the barriers to entry are a lot lower. I think yeah. uh, from a technical perspective, at least, uh, you know, everyone um, everyone can build a website these days within a couple of hours. Anyone can you know build a product and and launch it and advertise on Facebook for Business because it's you know super easy to uh, for a small business to do that. Yeah. So I think the the barriers to entry are I mean so much more accessible. So no, it's it's an interesting time to be an entrepreneur. Mm. I think it's one of the most fertile, but also one of the most competitive. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And speaking of low barriers to website entry, don't forget to check out our new marketing show website. That's themarketingshowpod.com. <laughs> oh, that was such a subtle plug. I love that. <laughs> but listen, I couldn't say we were all, we were all smiling the entire time. was leading up to it. Uh, but Nathan, uh, you mentioned their infrastructure, VCs, all of that jazz. We are at Antler at the moment. Uh, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about Antler, what it is and why you're here? Absolutely. So yeah, so um, we're lucky to be recording from the, the Antler offices. Uh, so Antler is uh, a startup generator. So basically they're, uh, they're a global VC uh, who invests in, uh, in early stage uh, companies and actually not only invests in them, they actually help incubate and accelerate them. So uh, Antler is basically uh, an accelerator program which takes uh, sort of co-founders from different walks of life, from commercial backgrounds, from technical backgrounds, uh, people with domain expertise, uh, brings them together onto a program and basically creates, uh, creates an environment to basically help them build the next wave of tech companies. Um, so they're actually a, a pretty recent v, uh, VC on the, on the landscape. Um, obviously, you've got um, a lot of sort of heavy hitters uh, in the valley, um, but Antler have taken a much more global approach. Um, so yeah, they've, they've got offices mm. in Sydney. They're also in, uh, I think they started in Singapore. They're in a number of, uh, number of European cities as well. So they're expanding very, very quickly. Um, and I think what's, what's really cool about it is, yeah, this, this accelerator program environment, which is basically you know, an opportunity for you to go through a, a six-month program uh, to find your co-founder, to validate your idea and your business model, to basically pitch it to, to their investment committee, hopefully get funding, uh, and then take it through to uh, their demo day, which is uh, uh, you know a fancy term for a big event. Think of Shark Tank, but on steroids in front of a thousand people. Uh, they bring effectively uh, you know some of the best investors across you know angel investors from uh, sort of governments to other VCs uh, for you to basically pitch to pitch your idea. Um, and that's ideally to help you raise your seed round. So they give you a, a great support structure to effectively go through the whole journey mm. uh, to, to go from idea to seed round and then beyond. Uh, so, so that's actually the, the program that I joined. So coming back to Australia. So, so yeah, that was the, the big decision to sort of leave the UK, uh, come back to Oz. I think you know, when you're making a decision to invest into a business, you know, it's five, 10 years of your life. So if, if that, if not more, so you want to be doing that in a country where you're, you're going to end up uh, where you want to end up. And for me, Sydney's, Sydney's home. So it made sense to come back. And yeah, the Antler program, it kicked off earlier in uh, 2018. So I'm part of the, the second cohort, second group of 80 people to go through. Uh, and we just kicked off this week. So we're, we're well into the week. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, again, a great, a great environment to sort of see 80 super smart people come together uh, to just think of the possibilities of, of what we're going on to build. Yeah, I think uh, we don't want to downplay as well, I guess, the, uh, how hard it is to get yeah. into a program like this. Like I saw online that you were selected out of 80 from 1300 people. So there's obviously a huge demand for people wanting to go into programs like this. So it's, it's a testament to, to your experience to date that you were actually selected for this program. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it's going back to the imposter syndrome. I think everyone sort of was like, <laughs> do, do, I, do I really get in? Like, but uh, I, I think I haven't found one person on the program who was like, oh yeah, I, I deserve to be. You know, I think everyone, uh, everyone feels that way, but uh, it, it is, it is, no, but it is very humbling to, you know, it, it is a, a really great environment to be a part of and i definitely feel privileged to uh to get to be here 
Considering, I guess, the large amount of people that apply to similar programs, um, would you have any advice that you would give to someone that's thinking about applying for a program like this? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the first thing to say is that there's there's so many different paths to entrepreneurship and and so many different different you know routes to market. I guess, uh, you know, I guess the first thing to say is that if you're thinking about starting your own idea, uh, the first thing you've got to say is like, do you want to bootstrap it? And bootstrap is just a fancy way of saying like invest your own money into it uh, and and basically put your, your own savings and try and, uh, you know, be as frugal and thrifty as possible. And that's fine. I think there are a lot of businesses that that do that. And I think that's obviously a great, you know, pro- probably the best way to do it because you're not diluting your equity and you're obviously giving yourself the opportunity to, to have that much freedom as you're building your idea. Um, but I think that also only works for, for particular businesses um, that you know, have maybe a, maybe a slower path to market or, you know, if you're not super uh, precious about the speed in which you do it. Um, I think obviously if you're looking at how can you capitalize on a market opportunity quickly or how can you sort of grow um, at, at pace and at speed, I think that's where you need to look to, to funding and, and looking at different sort of opportunities that exist in that environment. So, you know, once you, once you make that decision, uh, you know, either bootstrap or get investment, uh, when you go down that second path, I think a lot of opportunities um, op- open themselves. So again, you can go down uh, a path of angel investors. So that could be uh, family and friends. That could be going after some particularly high net worth individuals who you know look to to do this, who do this professionally, who are able to you know you go and pitch to them and they will take a you know a small stake for a small amount of money. Uh, you could go work in an incubator, uh, and an, uh, an incubator is basically just um, uh, a fertile, I guess, environment of, uh, you know, lots of startups in one area. I guess if you've ever seen the TV show Silicon Valley, uh, yeah. they, they, they probably don't paint the best picture of it where there's like <laughs> 10 startups in one house with some guy who smokes marijuana. But basically it's, it's a, an environment where you're able to um, be with other startups. It's for businesses that are probably much earlier stage. And it's a very unstructured environment. It's mainly just to to leverage resources and be around other people. But uh, you know the the network and the the resources that you get there are are useful. Uh, or you could actually pursue an accelerator program, which is the route that I'm taking at the moment. And and an accelerator program is you know as the name suggests, it's a much more structured program where the idea is to basically accelerate you through uh, that environment. So they give you yeah milestones to to complete. And the idea is that by the end of it, you reach that demo day perspective where, you know, you've got that clear target in mind. You know what your your goal is, which is to go on and raise more investment. Uh, so it's a, a slightly more structured environment, but I would recommend it for people who perhaps have an idea that's slightly more fleshed out or, or ready to go. Um, so, yeah, Mark, to, to, to your point, I think advice I would give uh pick the environment which suits your business need and which suits you personally. And everyone's got their own sort of financial um, you know, constraints and everyone's got their own vision for where they want the business to go. So I would say make sure that you align that with the, the route to market that you take. Uh, and if you do decide to go down the path of, a, uh, of an accelerator or a, uh, and, you know, going after VC investment, I would say you know, make sure that you have honed your pitch, your idea is really sharp, that you've got your co-founding team and that you've got a little bit of traction ready to go because that's what they're going to want to see. They're going to want to see, is there demand? Do you have a great co-founding team? Uh, because you know, ideas, ideas change, ideas uh, you know, are, are a dime a dozen. It's all about the execution. 
So that's why they're taking also a bet on your founding team. Can you pivot if things go wrong? Is the resilience of the team there to be able to to change and to, and to move? Uh, and then fundamentally, is there some demand already? So how much proof have you got? Um, I think the cool thing about Antler is that they are very much a talent first model. So they're actually taking you on board. Uh, some people are coming on without a particular idea. So they're actually looking at um, sort of coming up with an idea on the program and ideating with people, which is which is super fun and really cool. Uh, but I think you know if you do come with an idea, then all the better because you're able to at least have that little bit of head start, show you've got a little bit of um, little bit of sort of fleshed out thinking there. Uh, but it yeah, I think it's a a really interesting space to be in. I think there's a lot of reading and and uh, and things written online. Uh, I'd say Paul Graham from Y Combinator, which is Y Combinator is probably one of the probably the biggest uh, accelerator program in the world, uh, certainly the most reputable uh, in the in the Valley area. Uh, I would say that uh, he has a lot of a lot of writing in that space that's really interesting. So I would recommend you check out his blog because if you're thinking about going down the route of raising funding, uh, he has a lot of good stuff to say. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean you've sort of gone through that journey now, so you've you've come up with your idea and you've decided to go down this accelerator route what advice would you give to someone who's doing the same thing in terms of prep for week one or or, you know day one Uh, how have you sort of got yourself ready for the accelerator program yeah i think um i think the way that i've tried to sort of prepare and i think there's there's only so many ways that you can uh you can prepare for something like this uh i think meeting as many people as possible i think trying to to find your right co-founder match. Uh, I think that's definitely been one of the most interesting parts of the of the program so far. Um, you know, it's in many ways uh, because a lot of the time the co-founders, you know, you haven't established that relationship ahead of time. Uh, it, it does feel a little bit like Love Island meets The Apprentice. Like it's sort of, you know, everyone's rotating, everyone's meeting everyone and everyone's trying to find that perfect match. Uh, and it is, you know, it is a strange environment to be in. So I think that, you know, meeting as many people as possible was always my way of preparing. Mm. Uh, I think really honing in on on problem statements is probably the, the best advice I would give. Uh, and from a problem perspective, you know, problems are a lot easier to focus on than ideas because ideas are, you're already jumping straight to the solution and solutions change. You know, one of the, one of the first stages of building a startup is that sort of problem solution fit or product solution fit. Uh, and there's, as by definition, a lot of different solutions for a particular problem. And, you know, if you're trying to pitch an idea or a solution, it's much easier to uh, to shut it down than if you pitch a problem or you mm-hmm. talk about a problem. Because then you can go to your consumers, you can go to your early adopters, you can understand the minutiae of that problem and then ideate on a solution from there. So I think that definitely defining the problem is, is super important. Uh, and then I think just you know, being curious, being flexible, like trying to, you know, make sure that you're involved in all the discussions, that you're open, that you're interested, you know, not being too close-minded. I think that, you know, everyone's everyone's probably got ideas that they're really passionate about, but at the same time, the beauty of the program is just being able to be sort of that sort of, be in that environment where everyone is is just so open to ideas yeah. and, and that sort of cross-pollination of, of ideas. I think, you know, even some of the discussions that I've had over over a quick coffee have sort of created new business ideas that I hadn't even thought of coming into the program. And you sort of think, oh, that's really interesting. You know, that could be a great problem. And those those conversations are priceless. So I think being really open and willing to to sort of flex 
flex your curiosity is, is really mm. important as well. On, on that note, is there, are there any particular ideas that you're kind of coming into the program with that you are kind of um, looking to, to develop during your time here? Yeah, I think um, I, I probably got a couple of ideas that I'd, I'd fleshed out. Mm. Uh, and I think that, you know, as the program, you know, as we go through mm. these next couple of weeks, uh, it'll be interesting to see sort of how they evolve and how they change. Uh, I think probably the idea that I'd, I'd fleshed out the most was uh, an, an online marketplace for the ethical sale of pets. Uh, and that's predominantly because uh, my, my wife's a vet, actually. We've, uh, we've been looking at this space for a while. We've known a lot of people that uh, have been getting dogs and we've, we've been looking at getting a dog as well and sort of trying to not only buy a pet online, navigate that environment, navigate all the information. It's very overwhelming. Uh, there's also very minimal uh, accreditation and regulation in, mm. in that area. Uh, you know, you can't, it's very difficult to tell a good breeder from a poor breeder and trying to, you know, have that sort of common language uh, across different uh, different websites, different environments is really challenging. Uh, and also it's just, it's a lot of work for you to sift through all of that. And then at the end of the day, all you get is a, an email address and a phone number and you're sort of sent on your way. So I think from a problem space perspective, it was something that we were just like, this is ripe for, for disruption. So I think that that's sort of one problem area that I was really interested to solve. Uh, I think other areas, you know, looking at personalized travel recommendations, I think there are some, there's definitely a way that you could try and take travel recommendations into a more personalized approach, sort of break free of the sort of generic side of TripAdvisor and, you know, how can you actually build something which is uh, much more bespoke, much more tailored by and curated by the friends around you. Um, and just a way for you to document your trips and share trips with friends, I think is there's definitely uh, a UX opportunity there. Mm. Uh, and then... I mean, even an idea that just came up the other day, like looking at sort of the news environment and how can you create like a, a Spotify of news type of service whereby you are, uh, you know, similar in the way that you've got um, loads of, uh, you know, music, a music library at your fingertips. Is there a way for you to sort of aggregate loads of um, content that would previously be behind a paywall, uh, build it into the one app and charge users a, a collective fee rather than having them to be members of multiple sites mm. and just try and pull, in, uh, pull that all together into sort of one, simple uh simple tool uh, i think that's probably appeals to the journalist in me who's trying to sort of <laughs> fix a broken industry because i saw it uh hit 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 fairfax pretty hard and hit a lot of uh, a lot of uh, media outlets pretty hard so i think if there's a way to get people to pay for quality content and to do it in a way that's you know simple easy and supporting a great industry uh you know again a great a great purpose to to drive but uh, I definitely think uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an exciting one with so much misinformation out there in the world via social media as well. It feels like there's definitely an opportunity in that space. Yeah, but I, I think for, for me in terms of, you know, all, all of the ideas that, that are out there, I think if you're building your own startup, you need to be, you need to get out of bed every morning and want to work on it. You need to be passionate about it. Mm. Uh, and for me, like I was actually listening to uh, an interview with the, founder of uh, Tom's Shoes uh, and he had this you know this really nice articulation which was you know when you're when you're building a startup you want to build a movement not just a business uh, and I think that for me really sort of stuck with me uh, when you you know whatever idea comes out of the program I think you need to not only be able to get out of bed every day and work on it but you need to have a clear vision for the change that you want to see in the world and I think if you're working on any new business it's sort of your 
your duty, I guess, to say, well, how how is the effort that I'm putting into this going to make the world that little bit better? Or how am I going to create uh, meaningful change with uh, with what I'm working on? So I think that's always been like a, whatever idea comes out. I think that's for me going to be a, a really important, uh, really important point. Uh, and you can hold me to that because <laughs> hopefully in six weeks' times I haven't come out and just been like, yeah, I'm just, it's all about the money. So, <laughs> so, so who knows? We'll see. We're gonna I we're just, gonna sell it off straight away <laughs> just for the cash. Just imagine you like walking out after the end of the program with like these big suspenders and like these Gordon Gecko style <laughs> like, like a, a, yeah '80s mobile phone, uh, just like on a beach, being like, let's do it. Uh, you can no, yeah that, that that sound bite will come back to haunt. <laughs> no, no, but I I, I definitely it's no. definitely something that um, that. Is sort of stays true to me. So yeah, yeah it's good if, if you go beyond the product. It's it hopefully makes it easier for consumers to buy into it as well as keeping you motivated. So yeah, I think it's a really cool one to sort of keep in the back of the mind as you go through all these different ideas. I'm sure there's some weird and wacky ones out there, and there might be a few which you actually don't want to work on. Yeah, I mean, and and there may be a few that come up organically through the course of the yeah. program. And I think that's the beauty of it. You know, some ideas will get shut down pretty quickly. Some ideas will get, uh, you know go through all the validation and then it might fall down at the last hurdle. So I think it's, it's going to be a wild ride and I'm yeah. excited to, to get stuck into Strap it. Strap in. Yeah. And we're excited to be on the journey as well. We can't yeah. wait to, to learn from you as well throughout the entire program. And yeah, we'll be definitely be cheering you on from the, the sidelines with our recorder. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I'll be sharing all the, I'll be sharing the highs and the lows and all the learnings along the way. Can't wait. Can't wait. Just quickly. Uh, what does success look like for you after, after this program? I think, for me, coming out of the program, obviously there's um, there's you know financial measures. So I think you know if you get funding and you get investment and you can mm-hmm. take that through and you know that's great. Um, obviously, funding is not the only measure of success, though. I think for me, it's working on something that I'm I'm passionate about and that I think is is making that difference. So you know if 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 I can come out the other end uh, and say you know I've we're, we're working on something that is actually making a difference or that's actually going to, to create some sort of snow snowball of change even if it's in a in a small way i think that's what that's what success looks like to me i think it's a really good question because that's uh you know in, in the the kit that we get for preparation there are sort of 50 co-founder questions that you're meant to sort of meticulously complete uh, and they range from you know loads of different things to sort of you know your work style to your to culture to your skill set to funding and 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 equity split and one of the key questions is what does success look like to you what's your internal motivation and i think that's a really key thing to align on from the get-go uh for because for me you know it's you need to have both you know you want to have the financial autonomy to be able to call the shots in your own life and and that's fine but i think at the end of the day you need to work on something that you feel is going to to you know give back because me i'll Life's too short. We're only here on here on this planet for a very short amount of time in the grand scheme of things. So I think you, it's it's your sort of your duty and your your honor, I guess, to be able to try and figure out how to to give back in some way. So I think success looks like getting investment, but also finding a way to merge purpose and profit along the way and build and build a business that's doing well by doing good. Mm. Well, we can't wait to see you. You know meet that goal and, and be on the journey it's super exciting yeah it's i think definitely some highs and lows along the way i'm sure but uh no i'm i'm stoked to get going nice one um well nathan uh as always on the marketing show we like to end off with understanding what's interesting this week because we know that when we are curious and stay engaged in the world we're kind of at our best and, and we're always continuing on the learning journey 
on that note, uh, outside of the program, what have you found interesting this week? Yeah, so um, I'm, a, I'm a big movie fan. Uh, and actually, the, um, the Oscar nominations have just dropped Ooh. in the last few days. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been uh, keeping track. I certainly have. Um, and I think it's just a really, um, it's a really interesting time because uh, the Oscars have uh, tended to really not recognize or, or not really reward Netflix as a, mm. as sort of a, a newcomer onto the scene. Uh, and actually Netflix is the, the, the studio that's walked away with the most nominations of wow. any, any firm this year. So firstly, I mean, that's also a, a big statement. It's the first time that's happened. Mm. Um, but also, you know, it'll be very interesting to see whether the Academy, which is, you know, traditionally made up of some of the, the most senior executives in Hollywood and people who are, super esteemed and you know also very old world i guess in their yeah. in their um, mindsets to see whether they can actually reward a netflix film and give it best picture i think that's sort of the the threshold that we're um, that we're coming to but it's 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 been amazing to see just how netflix has really tried to sort of break into that scene and how they've seen the importance of content you know they they spent 160 million dollars on the irishman um, and that that only was in cinemas for three weeks, mm. so that is purely a gamble by them to to you know keep subscribers loyal yeah. to them. So, you know, to it's a com, it's just a completely uh, new world that we're entering into, uh, and I think from one hand it's you know it's exciting for the consumer because they're able to get access to some of the best content from the best directors who are now unfettered by. You know, yeah. Hollywood executives telling them what to do. And, you know, I think Scorsese said, you know, I don't think the Irishman would have been made if it weren't for that level of creative control and budget given to them by Netflix. Uh, but at the same time, it's also disrupting an industry uh, and, you know, changing changing an entire landscape, particularly for, for movie theaters and what, what constitutes cinema. I think it's yeah. a, a really interesting sort of conundrum, but... It's incredible to see how a startup has come onto the scene and just completely sort of laid bare all the all the traditions of, of yeah. something like uh, like Hollywood. Yeah. yeah, and it's almost like it's so inspiring to also think about the amount of filmmakers or inspiring filmmakers that's that technology is going to be able to touch as well in 10, 20 mm. years time. That you know we do have access to amazing content that's inspiring and you know art, artfully done as well as you know amazing reality tv you never know who that's going to be inspiring in their bedroom yeah, at the three in the morning generation. yeah so we never know who that next yeah. uh, great director is going to be yeah. and where they're going to come from which is going to be really exciting as yeah. well although uh, scorsese did come out on the record and say please do not watch the irishman on a phone or a tablet <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like at least a very big tablet it was like but, uh, i think uh, uh it's very funny yeah, what if they start optimizing their movies to, to iPad screens or whatever? On that note, Nathan, what is your pick for best picture? Oh, it's a really good question. I think there's probably probably two or three that are competing, I reckon, at the top. Uh, 1917, which won the, the Golden Globe for best picture drama, was, was fantastic. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think it might be Tarantino's time. I think he's, he's definitely, you know got a strong chance and he's only, I think he came out recently and said he's only got maybe one more film to come out. So this could be his, his time, but I, I really think Parasite was probably one of the strongest films of the year. And it's got a really good underdog story at one at Khan. It's, you know, really sort of taking the, the circuit by storm. Uh, and Bong Joon-ho has been sort of a real character on the, on the awards circuit as well. Um, and it's just a brilliant film. I think it's high time the Academy awarded a foreign film 
best picture so that's that's my my underdog choice for best picture this year mm. I, I have to admit i had never heard of parasite until just now so i need to go out and watch that uh, one. and it's still showing you can go check it out uh, it's been probably showing for nearly three four months now because it's just been wow. so popular so definitely check it out before the oscars in february on that note mark uh, what have you found interesting this week I've got uh, an activity, uh, which is lap swimming. So uh, mm. I've been out of uh, the exercise game in, in a large part for the last sort of six or seven weeks due to injury. Uh, and I'm, I'm back in, I've dived back into the pool. So I'm lap swimming and it feels great. Uh, I was at North Sydney pool last night, mm. which was my first swim back. Uh, and I've never actually swum there before. I don't know if you guys have been to North Sydney pool no, before. No, never. So it's, got, it's got a great view, I yeah. think, from memory. It's stunning. Yeah, like it's beautiful just next to the Harbour Bridge and next to Luna Park. Um, really cool. Uh, claim to fame is I was telling a friend today and he said that last time he was there, he was swimming in the same lane as Scott Morrison uh, wow. and actually overtook him. So old slow-mo was holding oh. everyone up. <laughs> 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 oh. uh, but no, look, it just I think it's just sharing like, feels super good to get back into some exercise and specifically lap swimming. There's nothing like it because, you know, if you go for a run after a work or even a cycle, you can still sort of be in the mindset of at work. You're still doing something quite normal, but as soon as you have to jump into a body of water after work, there's no way that you're in the same mindset. Like you've just done something completely different with your day. Uh, and for that, I think it's kind of great. So yeah, lap swimming. On, on that note, uh, what has been your favorite style so far about swimming? Yeah, so uh, I've always been quite a fast breast stroker, mm. uh, which is an obscure one to be good at, I think. Like, <laughs> I was, I was, as a kid, that was the only one I could ever win in, in yeah. like competitions. Uh, but I am trying to get better with my freestyle. Yeah. So the, the goal would be to be able to at least swim a few kilometers consecutive in freestyle. Yeah, yeah. might overtake Scott Morrison and overtake old slow mo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if he'll be swimming there these days. I think no, he might I, get a bit of flack. I, I was gonna say, I think he's probably uh keeping a low profile for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and also you can just see the headlines like him near water during fires. I, I don't know, there's something there. Yeah. yeah, I think from an ex marketing guy, Scotty from marketing wouldn't uh wouldn't approve of that. <laughs> um, but uh, on that note, Mark, what did you find interesting this uh, week? So it was actually a YouTube channel and it's from a guy called Terry Baronston, and I'm probably mispronouncing that, but he is a videographer based out of New York City, specifically in Brooklyn. Um, and I watched the videos his that were served to me via my YouTube algorithm, which I was always, you know, surprised and delighted by. Mm. And the video is called Not Your Neighborhood uh, Average Fixie. And the fixie part of that refers to a fixed gear bicycle. And the video is at about like 15 minutes of this guy and his friend traveling through New York City via bicycle with a GoPro on his on his helmet. And it's about him trying to go to a camera store that's really famous in New York called B&H Photo. And it kind of starts off with him crossing the Williamsburg Bridge on a bicycle with his friend. And immediately, as soon as I clicked on it, you're already moving at pace on the bicycle and you're moving through this really famous bridge. And he explains he's just going to run a normal errand and go to this camera store with his friend. But sooner or later, you finish, you already across the bridge and he's speeding into, into traffic and he's already flowing in between cars and the amazing streets of downtown Manhattan. And there was just something so amazing and poetic about watching this guy just flow through green light after green light in the middle of these really iconic avenues in New York. And he's giving this amazing kind of verbal history of the different streets and why they're important as he's riding his bicycle through this traffic. 
And there was just something about the visuals of seeing uh, New York City and specifically the main avenues and the large distance and space between the buildings and how wide the roads are. And having this experience of flying through these amazing roads on a bicycle. And just, it was just this visual feast that I just was captivated in for about 15 minutes. And it was like this amazing mindful experience. And yeah, something that made me really nostalgic for New York, but also made me appreciate, I guess, the art of cycling in a really, really large city. Mm. Um, and it kind of exposed me to something that I'd probably witnessed a lot of couriers going past even their now city of Sydney um, and the experiences they might have day to day. But really getting into that world just for 15 minutes was, yeah, it was, it was almost like a little urban exploration. Nice. Um, but yeah, really, really amazing experience. Made me kind of want to book a ticket to New York and just go ride a bike around for a little I, bit. I kind of yeah. feel like I want to do exactly that. <laughs> yeah. As you're saying this, I'm like, I want to watch that video and yeah. go to New York. <laughs> the, the best part of it is that he was explaining like within the video that, you know, there's different stories where he's caught a consecutive flow of green lights in Manhattan and how different cyclists brag about the amount of green lights that they can catch. Oh, that would be so rewarding. Yeah, exactly. And as he's doing it, he's, he's catching a few consecutive green lights and because of the pa- yeah, and <laughs> yeah. because of the pace he's going at, there's moments where he's just in the middle of an of a busy avenue like Eighth Avenue, just by himself in the street with his friend riding his bike, and it's just this beautiful flow of traffic in the middle of the day, um, and them having this little moment of quiet and peace just by themselves, which. Yeah, it was just, it was amazing. And it kind of makes you want to see how many green lights we could get if we all got on bikes. I was going to say, you need to recreate this in Sydney. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll have to reach out to a, to a cycling group and see how far we can get across the CBD and in, in how much time. And maybe it can be a cool uh, marketing show pod challenge. You, de- you definitely it. beat the light rail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe we're, as, yeah, now that's the launch, we see, um, we'll see what's going to be faster. <laughs> well, guys, um, if you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe so you can listen to the entire series that's coming up as well as the podcast. Um, and we can't wait to have you a part of our learning journey. Yeah, thanks so much, Nathan. Awesome. No, keen to get started, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you.